The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So your scripture reading today is Luke chapter 6. Would you turn there with me? Luke chapter 6 will be on page 862. I say to you who hear, love your enemies Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them." If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, as your Father is merciful. Amen. I want to start with what I think will be a familiar image. So we can put that up. Familiar image. Have you seen this before? This is called the Gadsden flag. It was first created during the American Revolution of the 1700s. If you've seen this before, you know there's some some meaning to this image, isn't there? Some meaning to this image. Um, Let me read you what Benjamin Franklin said, okay, about the rattlesnake. And so what he's talking about here is, is very much tied to the meaning of this flag. This is what he said about the rattlesnake. He liked the snake as an image for what America was like. And here's why. This is what he said. She never begins an attack, nor when once engaged ever surrenders. She is therefore an emblem of magnanimity and true courage. She never wounds till she has generously given notice even to her enemy and cautioned him against the danger of stepping on her. Was I wrong, sir, in thinking this a strong picture of the temper and conduct of America? Do you hear the attitude there? Um, Something like this, be good to your friends and those who share your interests. Be kind and generous and don't try to make enemies. But if someone disagrees with you, sets themselves against you, is wrong on something, or especially if they harm you, you need not love. In fact, you shouldn't. What should you do? Separate yourselves, make them pay. Now, My goal today is not at all to talk about political foreign policy, okay? That's not what I'm thinking of, but I'm convinced the idea of this flag, and maybe we can have another conversation someday about political foreign policy, but this idea of, hey, be good to your friends, and don't try to make enemies, but if someone is wrong or disagrees with you or hurts you, hey, make them pay, Have you heard this before? Have you seen it before? 
Um, I think it's happening all around us. Liberal to conservative. Conservative to liberal. Religion to religion. Race to race. Within varieties of the Christian world in general. Neighbor to neighbor. Family member to family member. Even within a local church fellowship. Love those who love you. Love those you enjoy. Love those who help you, who encourage you, who, who bless you. And don't love your enemy. Don't love the one who disagrees with you vehemently. Don't love the one who's hurt you and who hasn't said sorry. Don't love the one you find annoying or difficult. Love your friend. Hate, oh, I don't mean murder or torture or beat up, but just disregard, disdain. Don't love your enemy. Have you heard that before? Come on, have you done that before? Have you felt that before? My friends, this is the most natural human ethic that has ever existed. It's in nearly every religion. Love your friends. Love those who are like you. But man, the evildoer, the wicked one, the one who's different, mm-mm, disdain them. Stay away. It's as natural as breathing air. Love your friends. Don't love your enemies. Ironically, in the same breath, it's common for us to say love is the answer. You ever heard that one? And we'll also say Jesus is a good teacher. Have you heard that one? So let's put it all together. How many of you would like to hear Jesus teach about love? That's about right. None of you actually want to hear this. <laughs> Uh, do you want to hear it? You need it. You need it. And you better hope there's somebody out there who loves his enemies. So we are continuing through Luke's gospel. We're in the middle of Jesus' sermon about the culture of his kingdom. And Jesus is saying in this sermon, this is what it looks like to belong to me or to follow me. This is what it looks like. And so he wants to talk now about how his people respond to their enemies and let me just say, it's going to be new. The world has never heard anything like this before. It's unique. There's no other teaching like this. And literally, this teaching sets Jesus apart like few others. And it sets his people apart, and it's meant to. Jesus will say, this is what makes you different. This is what shows that you belong to me. So it's some of the most challenging and beautiful words the world has ever seen, right? So here's, I want to give you three ideas today and then just some applications. Three ideas, new kingdom, new love, new motivation. New kingdom, new love, new motivation. First of all, new kingdom. Let me just land on this first phrase in verse 27. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear. But I say to you who hear. So Jesus is pointing out, first of all, the importance of who it is that's speaking, namely himself. But I say, why should that be important? There's all sorts of opinions on how you treat whoever, right? Google it on the internet, listen to your mama, listen to your friend, all sorts of opinions, all sorts of advice you're getting on how to treat whoever for what reason. Jesus says, but I say. Why is it important what he says? Well, just remember the context of Luke. Jesus is God's promised king. If you wanna put it in theological terms, he has claimed to be the son of man. If you're like, what does that mean? 
Back in Daniel 7, the prophet talks about God's promised eternal king who will reign over everyone, every tribe, tongue, and nation, and he'll reign over them forever. He will save his people. He will bring justice. He will renew the earth. There's nobody bigger than this guy. You've got to be right with him. You've got to listen to what he says. He's everything. He's the king. But I say, he's going to talk about what it means to love. He proved it, didn't he? But with his miracles, he proved it with his resurrection. He's king. So this reminds us of what we looked at last week, if you want to check that out on the website. Jesus said, I'm king, and there's a, there's a new kingdom that's coming. It has come in me, Jesus says, and it will continue to grow, and one day it'll rule everything explicitly. I'm king, the kingdom's coming, which means this old kingdom is passing away. So there's an old way to love things and live for things. We looked at that last week. And this, but you want to latch on with me because I'm the true king and I'll reign forever. And if you latch on with me, if I'm your king, then there's a new way to live. There's a new way to approach people. So Jesus is saying, but I say, this is what I say about how my people love. Second thing, I say to you who hear. Isn't that strange? You remember the context? Who's he talking to? A few verses up, you see there's masses of people who have come to him on this plane. So thousands of people are listening. And then, for, then he says, but I say to you who hear. And wouldn't that leave some of you going, well, what? We're all li- we all came to listen to you. What do you mean to you who hear? Aren't we all hearing? And Jesus says, no. Not really. Friends, this happens every time God's word is preached. Some of us are just hearing, and it's just sounds. And it went in and out, and we're hearing from a distance, and we're like, well, maybe, I don't know. I don't know if that's really for me. I don't know if that's my life. So so maybe we're hearing, but we're not hearing. Others of us, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger. Other of us are hearing the word like, like somebody who's starving and we wanna eat, and we're saying, Jesus, feed me with your words. I'm gonna believe you, I'm gonna trust you, and I'm gonna live this out. And so right here, Jesus gives a kind of a dividing line. Only you really know who you are. Are you hearing or are you hearing? Are you listening like he's everything, like he's your king, or are you listening like, well, maybe I'll think about it if it fits with my life? Jesus is just, I'm, he's just throwing it out there. I say to you who hear, So the question is out there, how do you hear the Lord Jesus when he speaks? So here we go, that's the new kingdom. Jesus is king and he's speaking and how you hear shows whether or not you're in his kingdom. Jesus is king and he's speaking and how you hear shows whether or not you're in his kingdom. So let's hear like he's our king, like our life depends on it, like he's everything, because he is. New kingdom, new love. Are you ready? I need y'all to preach to me. I am not teaching you this sermon as an expert on this topic. So let's just go ahead and get that out there. I am not preaching you this sermon as an expert on this topic. If I only preached you sermons that were as good as the way I actually live, there would be no point in coming to this church. (laughs) Now, of course, of course, I need, God help me, I need to be a genuine example of a Christian. Of course, I want to be. I do, I want to be. 
I'm, I'm striving for that. But I am not the expert on this topic. So I'm gonna let you preach to me, okay? Just three words. I'm gonna say the first part, but I say to you who hear, and then you're gonna preach to me those next three words. Are you ready? Here we go. But I say to you who hear, go ahead. Love your enemies. What? Even the microphone can't handle that. <laughs> Love your enemies. Uh, we're, we're all left like a deer in headlights. That's impossible. The whole definition of enemy means they're mean to me, they're cruel to me, they hate me, there's no benefit in loving them. And Jesus is going, yeah. How can, what, what do you mean? You almost want to shake your Bible out and be like, is there a, a loophole or Love your enemies. Listen, life will present you with a spectrum of people who seem like enemies, right? Some of us, um, some of it's, it's very serious. Think of brothers and sisters around the world, harshly persecuted, physically persecuted, enemies, true enemies. But there's a spectrum to this, right? We will all have enemies in some way on the spectrum from like super annoying to, to painful to abusive to betraying. To, to assaulting, to person, I don't, I don't know. And we'll, we'll each have different varieties of how that works, okay, in God's sovereign plan. But we'll all have enemies somehow, or at least people who feel like it. <laughs> and Jesus has just told us to love them. Now, in context, I think it's very important to pay attention to context. I want you to see what's on Jesus' mind, or at least on Luke's mind, as he's giving us Jesus' words. What happened right before this command to love your enemies? Well, look at Luke 6. 22, Luke 6, 22. There Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. What a list. Hate you, exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil. On account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. We went over this last week, but just to grab a little of it here, if you live for Jesus, right, on, a, on account of the Son of Man, if you live for Jesus in obeying him and in speaking for him, which we're all commanded to do, if you live for him, there will be people who respond to that in very negative ways, and they will be enemies to you for his sake. Now, disclaimer, okay? Should we ever pursue having enemies as God's people? No. Is this something we want? No. Is this something we take pride in? No. Is this something we're looking for? No. Should it ever be our manner that makes them our enemies? No. It should be the message that makes them enemies. It's on their terms, not on ours. We want to be friends. That's the whole point of love your enemies. We want to be friends, but sometimes we will have enemies for Jesus' sake. He said, well, hey, when you're, when you're persecuted for my sake, rejoice, have a party. It shows you're in my kingdom. I'm your king. It, it's going to go well for you. We looked at that last week. But in context, right, here are enemies that God's people have for doing the right thing and for saying the right thing, right? It only makes sense. So Jesus says, you will have enemies for my sake. Which means in that context, the reason you have these enemies is because you're doing what's right and you're saying what's right. 
You're tracking? And Jesus knows this is very dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to have enemies when you know you're innocent. It's dangerous to have enemies when you know you're right. Why? Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Let's start, start down the slippery slope. I'm right, they're wrong. In this case, true or false. When you're persecuted for the Son of Man, I'm right, they're wrong. True or false? True. It's true. There's some truth there. That's the entire premise of being persecuted for Jesus. But that can soon grow into, I'm good and they're bad. Hmm. And then that can soon grow into, because I'm good, I'm worthy of God's love and his praise, and they're bad, they're under judgment, and they deserve my disdain. And that's where we go. You realize how common a sentiment this was for Jesus' day, talking to this crowd. Do you know who occupies their nation? The Roman Empire. Generally speaking, good or bad? Bad. Uh, do they love the true God, or are they all into idolatry and all sorts of nasty lifestyles? Yes, they're, they're, they, they fit the definition of pagan sinners, okay? And they're stealing God's people's money, and they're brutalizing God's people, and they promote idolatry, and some of God's people are falling in with them. And so it was, it was like the right thing to do to love Israel and hate Rome. It's like the right thing to do to be like, I'm part of God's people, and they're out, and I disdain them. They're wicked. I hate them because I'm righteous. And it, all, it feels moral. Amen. Patriotism. God and country. We're good. They're bad. As, as if it's an ethical positive or blessing to hate your enemy. And that's up in us, I believe. Well, they did, they did that. I'm coming after them. They think that, I'm, I'm gonna stand against them. They, and, and all of a sudden, it's good for me to love my tribe and to disdain them. And so isn't it, isn't it genius, wise, profound of Jesus to follow up, rejoice when you're persecuted for my namesake, and by the way, love your enemies. We need this. We need this. Because if you disdain somebody, guess what? You're not loving them. If you disdain somebody, you're not loving them. So look at this, verse 27. I say to you here, love your enemies. Jesus is saying, if you're in my kingdom, you will not hate or disdain your enemy, even when he hurts you, when you're innocent, and when he hates you for doing what is right. If you belong to me, Jesus is saying, you will work to love your enemy. And then there's a footnote and it says, this is just for varsity Christians and pastors. The rest of you don't worry about it. Because half of us are like, oh, it's got to be there. In the Greek, doesn't it mean varsity Christian? Is it? Come on, Pastor Matt. There's a commentator somewhere who says, there's a loophole for me. Is there some way I can squeeze out of a crack and not love my enemy? Because I know in your case, it's different. In your case, there was a reason not to love your enemy. Except there's not. Um, what do you think, Bible scholars? Suggestion, command from King Jesus. Which one? It's a command. 
I just want you to do the painful work of getting your enemy in your mind and your heart right now. See their beautiful face. Okay? We all have them. Again, it's very different on the spectrum. (laughs) Very different. It it could be a, a little thing that just wasn't little for you, and it's hurt forever and forever. It could have been a slight, a betrayal, somebody said something wrong. It could be a debate that went bad. It it could be a lot of different things, but that person's in there. You think of them, okay? That's the one Jesus is talking about. Work in us, Lord Jesus, we can't do this. He's gonna tell you to love your enemies in four practical ways. Oh, Jesus, how do you speak like this? Number one, he's telling you to love your enemies from the heart. He really is. Um, some people say, don't worry about the heart, just do nice things. That's, not, that's never the way Jesus talks. It's never the way he acts. He's always taking the external and making it go internal. He's telling you to love your enemy from the heart. Um, as, as we've looked at the emotional life of Jesus throughout Luke, there's, there's one thing we see he always has for people, and it's called compassion. It's compassion. He sees people, he cares about their story, their weakness, their pain. He's shown us that example of having compassion. Not only that, we've seen over and over and over again, he said, if you wanna be in my kingdom, you need to be poor in spirit. We looked at the example of how the tax collector prayed, and he didn't say, God, thanks, I'm so great. He said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm a sinner. So the tax collector is saying, Jesus, my only hope is your compassion for me. My only hope is your compassion for me. If you believe that about yourself, do you know that? Your only hope before God is God's compassion for you? If you believe that about yourself, you'll realize you're not as different from your enemy as you'd like to think. If you both got what you deserved, you would end up in the same place. Love your enemy from the heart with compassion. It's part of being poor in spirit. Number two, I'm looking at four practical ways Jesus says for us to love our enemies. Compassion from the heart. Love your enemy. Number two, do good to those who hate you. (laughs) He's got you in some wrestling move, right? And you can't get out. Do good to those who hate you. That means love them with positive action. Do something kind, something generous, something that blesses them in their best interest with a desire for their good. Love with action. Number three, love in your words and in your praying. Verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. What is your first instinct response when somebody curses you, insults you? Mine is give it right back. Instant karma, right? Karma's like a trampoline. You throw something bad, it hits you in the face. It's like stepping on a rake in the yard. It's your karma, brother. We love karma in America. We don't know what we're talking about. I don't know where we got this trampoline universe where you throw stuff and it bounces. It's ridiculous. But we love karma, we think that's great. Unless you're a Christian. Unless you're a Christian. And when somebody insults you, brothers and sisters, hear the words of the Lord. When somebody insults you, how should you speak? You bless them. 
You bless them. I don't think it's like the sneeze kind of thing. Bless you. But you, you stink. Bless you. I don't know. You're speaking good into their life. You're speaking kindness into their life. Your, your speech is seasoned with grace somehow. You, again, you, you're trying to speak well of them. You're, tr- you're trying to make peace with them. There's a lot of biblical commands we could look at. But it's a positive, loving attitude in how you're talking. And then you're praying for them. Pray for those, Jesus says, who abuse you. Oh, I think this is really helpful because you imagine this person and you you lift them up to the Lord and you're like, where's the imprecatory Psalms? Do you know those? (laughs) Throw them against a rock, Lord. (laughs) Okay, start there if you need to. In context, though, that's not gonna be what you pray for in the end. Uh, You remember the Lord's Prayer? I wanna give you Luke's version, Luke 11, four. Luke 11, four. And forgive us our sins, Lord. We pray that a lot. We need to. Forgive us our sins, Lord, for we ourselves, what? Forgive most of the people who are indebted to us, except for those special people, because, man, not even you can forgive that mess. Oh, again, that's not what the prayer says. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive. What's that next word, folks? Everyone. It's hard to hate somebody when you're praying, Lord, forgive me, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner, Lord. If I got what I deserve from you, oh God, don't give me that. Give me Jesus. Give me what he's done for me. Thank you, Lord. Forgive me. Thank you. And this person, oh God, you know the pain that they have caused me. I'm not denying that pain. You know the evil they have done. Believe me, Jesus is not denying the evil they have done. We are not calling it good. It was not good. But we are praying, oh God, forgive them. Help me forgive them. Which means we're praying, God, break their heart, show them the gospel. Show them what you've done. And we're praying, God, work for their good. I had to to do this recently because I'm trying to preach this text and not be a total hypocrite. And I had to think of some people and I had to pray for them. God bless them. Lead them to your truth. Help them. Cause them to thrive. It's an amazing thing to pray for your enemy. You'll feel like a real Christian. (laughs) Love your enemies from the heart with action, with your words, in your praying. Fourth one, never retaliate. Never retaliate. Verses 29 to 30. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Some people take this to such extremes. We've seen you have to be careful with Jesus' sermon to do that. Um, this is not like if you're, if you're on the street and somebody starts hitting you and taking your money, you're just like, um, as if God wants us to be passive observers of evil without ever standing for good or caring for our neighbor. I really don't think that's the context. Um, supposedly, if you got kicked out of the synagogue, which many of Jesus' followers did, part of the symbolism there, would they would, they would strike you across the cheek as like an, a shameful excommunication, according to one commentator. It's an insult and a rejection. And so when they insult you, when they reject you in this way, don't retaliate. That's what he's saying. Never retaliate. Never get revenge. Never insult them back. Never revile in return. Don't retaliate. The main idea of the passage here is what your enemies? Love. Love your enemies. Don't retaliate. In the same way when when people ask from you, 
there was a patronal system, evidently. Do you know what that means? A patron is somebody who's always giving to you, and then you owe them. And so it was kind of culturally acceptable to be like, well, if I give you something or I loan something to you, well, that's on my list. And then you owe me. And so there's whole checks on like, oh, who owes who what? You better pay up. And so the reason I love you is so that you will love me. And if it shows over time that I, I helped you or I served you, and then you didn't do it back, well, fine, I'm done with you. Which means, by the way, I never really loved you. I was loving myself. Are you catching that? Jesus says, no, don't, don't love that way. Love generously and keep loving even when they don't respond to you in the way that you'd hoped. Don't retaliate. Love generously. True or false, this is a new love, and the world has never heard of anything like this before. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? This is a new love. Love your enemies from the heart, practically. And this is exactly what Jesus says. Look at verses 32 to 34, this new love. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? He's calling out the major ethic of every human being from the beginning of time and nearly every religion. Love those who love you. What benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. In other words, it takes no supernatural work of God for you to do this. It's normal human behavior. Verse 34, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. You can't see yourself as righteous and amazing because you love those who are good to you because there's nothing supernatural about that. Anybody can do that. Verse 34, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, see that idea of give and take, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Big deal, that's the old kingdom's love. It's love by works, do you see that? It's love by works. If they will love me, I will love them. If they quit loving me, I'll quit loving them. That's not enough for Christians. You know, it's so amazing. Did you see that question he keeps asking? What benefit is that to you? What benefit is that to you? What credit is that to you? This word underneath benefit, benefit, and credit, the, great, the Greek word is charis, which means, anybody know? Grace, grace. So, so think of Jesus' question like this. What grace is that? Or what grace is in there? If you love those who love you, where's the grace? Do you hear his question? What is grace, my friends, remember? The gift of love that you don't deserve. It is a gift. The gift of love that you don't deserve. Lavish Love that you don't deserve, and it raises questions. So I got, a little, I got a little quiz for you. You don't need to speak this out loud. Do you need God's grace? Are you coming to him like, well, God, I've done some good things, so you owe me some love. Pay up. Most of the world comes to God that way. Or are you like the tax collector going, I have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you need God's grace how much grace do you need? Do you think you deserve God's love because you've been so good? What standard? What standard is this that you've kept? Because listen, if you think you deserve God's love and have earned it, you'll make others deserve your love. And the more you make others deserve your love, the more it shows you you think you deserve God's love. 
Have you received God's grace? Has he really shown us our sin and his incredible love for us on the cross? Then I think even though loving our enemies is just, it burns, it can't help but hurt, there's gonna be something in this that goes, oh, but yeah, yeah, that's grace. I like grace, I need grace, I'll show grace. New kingdom, Jesus is king, new love. Grace for our enemies. Here's the third point. It's so supernatural, we need a new motivation. We need a new motivation. Verse 35. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting what in return? Nothing. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he's kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Jesus never tells you to do stuff just because he wants your life to stink. We think he does. He never tells you to do stuff just so you can live this dark and dreary, painful, horrible life and finally get him to like you because you've suffered enough. It's never the way he talks. He really wants you to be happy. He wants you to be happy more than you want to be happy. He just knows the way that happens in this sinful world. And if you wanna to try to find your happiness by preserving yourself and fighting for your rights and getting revenge, it'll have this kind of candy bar goodness to it, but in the end, uh, it, it won't feed you. But if you really wanna be satisfied, you'll live on his grace and you'll show his grace. Remember, it was, it's the same, same promise here. Um, when you're persecuted for the sake of Jesus, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward. And when you love your enemies... Your reward is great. It's the same promise. Oh, there's gonna be joy in this. God will be pleased with you. He will make this up to you. You will rejoice. I don't think there's anybody in heaven who says, yeah, I, living for Jesus was good, but I really regret loving my enemies. You think there's anybody like that in heaven who regrets loving their enemies? No way. This is their legacy for God's glory. Your reward will be great. Not only that, you get to display God's character. Do you see what the most high is like? This most high God. A lot of gods, you gotta go do a lot of stuff to hopefully get them to like you. Look at this most high God. He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now, what happened today here in Orange County? Well, however, however many millions of people went to bed last night, ignoring God, demeaning God, denying God, and what did they deserve this morning? Can you imagine what the city would look like if it got what it deserved? Read some biblical stories and you'll see what happens when God wants to bring enough on the city. And yet, what did we get today? Again, the best weather in the world, even though it's cloudy. It's nice to have a little variety, right? It's cloudy, it's beautiful. We have food to eat. The economy is pretty much working. We're safe. We have leisure time. How many of you are going back to slavery in the mines this afternoon? How many of you are going out to eat with someone this afternoon? And if you're not, if you want to come to the chaos of my house, <laughs> I'll find some leftovers. <laughs> Marsh is out of town. <laughs> He's been kind to us today. 
God's been so kind. It's raining on people who hate him. The crops grow for people who can't stand him. Economies run and money is made and laughter is had and good food is eaten for people who deny and hate God. He's kind and he's merciful to the ungrateful and the evil. How many of you would have brought judgment like 2,800 years ago? They never, I mean, I've heard this, right? You volunteer at church. Nobody thanked me. Can you imagine being God? I gave them food and life and they just never thanked me. Enough! (laughs) Thank God he's not like us. Merciful, kind to the ungrateful and the evil, and we get to display his character. How can we show the world the mercy of God in a unique way where not even they can ignore it anymore? I hesitate to say it because I don't even want to do it, but here it is. When we love our enemies, that's when everybody goes, We don't get you. We know about loving people who love you, and we know about hating people who hate you, but you are totally confusing us with this idea of loving enemies. You get to display God's character. Did you see how Jesus finishes this little section? Be merciful even as your what? Your father is merciful. This was a new way to talk about relating to God. What do we get to call him? Father, wait, I get to talk about God like the one who loves me, provides for me, delights in me, wants to be with me, protects me, cares for me. I get to look at God like that. I get to speak to him like that. Yeah, Lord's Prayer. Jesus, how do we pray? You ready? Our? How is it that you and I became children of that God? Christians love their enemies and treat them well because their God loves his enemies. Let me back up. Because their father loves his enemies and adopts them. And we know that's true because it was us. God loves his enemies. Look at Romans 5.10. Will you read this with me? Romans 5.10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And just let that land on you. Enemies hated God, denied him, ignored him, rebelled against him. We were reconciled, brought near in a relationship, made right with God by the death of his son. God gave his son for his enemies. And then you start to look at Jesus. You know, Jesus has never asked you or me to do anything that he has not been willing to do himself. Don't revile when people curse you. He will get cursed when he's on a cross. Don't don't, uh, retaliate when people take your cloak. He will have his cloak gambled for while he's on a cross. Pray for your enemies. You want to hear this? You know this. Let it land. Luke 23, 33. Luke 23, 33. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Just pause for a moment. 
pause for a moment and remember, what is his back like right now? He doesn't have one. It was ripped off by the whips of the Roman, uh, Roman soldiers. What are his wrists and feet like right now? It's pain we can't comprehend through the nerves on his wrists, through his feet. He can't breathe unless he pulls himself up on nails. The the evil he is experiencing and the pain he is enduring is unimaginable. And look at what he does in verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's not kidding when he says pray for your enemies. It's what he does on the cross. It's through that mercy that he earned our adoption, Galatians 4.4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption. We have not kept the law of loving our God. We've not kept the law of loving our neighbor. He fulfilled the law. He has done it, and he paid for our lack of it on the cross. He redeemed us. He bought us with his life, with his blood, so that we might receive adoption. How do we put into words, friends, the mercy of our God? Taking rebellious sinners like us and making us heirs of his kingdom, very children of God. Behold the love of God that we might be called his children. Our father is our father because of his mercy. He is a merciful father. That's why we're his children. That's why we can even say the name father because of his mercy. How much mercy he gave his son. For whom? People who deserve it? No, his enemies, his enemies Our God has loved his enemies. It's me. It's me. It's you. How can we possibly love our enemies? What could possibly make us want to do that? (laughs) It's seeing how we were the enemy and seeing how we we have been loved. That's it. That's it. When the Spirit shows you your sin and the beauty of what God has given you in Christ and the magnificence of what Christ has done for you and how you did not deserve it, he showed you grace. It's it's why you have the identity you have as a child of God. It's by grace when you have that. Then you start to say, I can't self-righteously judge my enemy. I'm not that different. But for God's mercy, I'm like that person. And if he has shown me love... Jesus, help me love my enemy, right? Help me love my enemy. So test yourself, friends. Are you willing? This is hard, right? It's not an easy button. Oh, now I'm doing it. It's hard. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. It takes work, it takes wisdom. But test your heart. If your heart is saying, no and no, I will not do this. They do not deserve my love. You've got to then ask, I think you think you deserve God's. I don't think you're impressed enough yet by your own sin and by his mercy. When you taste that, a, a crack will open in the door, and you'll say, okay, help me to love. Help me to love my enemy. That's what Jesus is saying, amen? Amen. I want to give you a couple implications. A couple implications. Four, okay? Number one, 
Evidently, Jesus expects us to live explicitly enough for him that we risk making enemies. Evidently, Jesus expects us to live explicitly enough for him that we risk making enemies. That's the whole context of this, right? It usually comes with how we share the gospel. The reason Jesus' hometown wanted to throw him off a cliff after his first sermon was he told them, you are self-righteous and you need to repent in so many words. And they said, we're throwing you off the cliff. When you speak of sin and a savior and how only Jesus can save, that's a good way to risk making an enemy. And that is what we must speak of. Usually we don't make enemies by taking people dinner, although I suppose that's possible. If you make some of that Dutch fish, it may happen. Please, I just made an enemy, I'm sorry. I will love you. Jesus expects us to live explicitly enough that we risk making enemies. Two, this is so important. The lack of retaliation in this sermon is not meant to keep you from speaking for justice. Here's what I wanna say. If somebody is abusing you secretly, do not think this sermon means, okay, just keep taking it. It most certainly does not. Speak out. Get help. Let me show you even an example. Jesus said, when somebody slaps your, fa- your face, what should you do? Turn the other cheek. We saw that. I told you, that means no retaliation. Does that mean you don't speak for justice? Let me show you Jesus' own example on how he applies his own sermon. John 18, verse 22. When Jesus had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answered the high priest? And Jesus turned the other cheek and said, hit me again. No. Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? You see what he's doing, right? Is he retaliating? No. And man, what kind of retaliation could Jesus bring? I'm gonna set your mess on fire, you know? When you, when you start to hit me again, your hand is gonna dissolve. Oh my gosh, it's a good thing I'm not the Messiah. I would have abused that. <laughs> Jesus does not retaliate, but does he speak the truth against the injustice of what is happening? Yes, he does, which means you can too. There's a difference between just taking injustice without speaking it and getting total revenge. Okay, no and no. Do not retaliate. But speak out, get help. You hear what I'm saying? Number three, love, evidently, is not the same thing as agreement. Eureka, the light goes on. Do you have to agree with someone to love them? We feel like we do on certain issues, don't you? What about this issue, this political issue, that hot button issue? If I agree with that person, I can love them. But you realize how ridiculous that is. For instance, how many of you agree with me that the Patriots are the best NFL team to ever play? Can I get an amen? I've got one right here, my son, my firstborn son, okay? How many of you, hopefully, you're at least trying to love me, okay, please, okay? So already, already we disagree and you love me, okay? Play this out. Do you think God always agrees with you? (laughs) What a joke. Do you think he always agrees with you? I mean, it's hilarious. How often does he agree with me? I'm not sure. But does he love me? 
Does he love you? Yes. Does he love people who disagree with him? Yes. Yes. Lavishly, comfortably. Yes. Can you love people who disagree with you? Yes. Yes. You can accept people who deeply disagree with you. It doesn't mean you don't disagree. It doesn't mean you don't say the truth. It doesn't mean you don't even confront sometimes. But you still love them. And you pray for them and you do good to them. And you care about them. Yes, it can, be, it can happen. I don't know how we got off thinking it can't. So, again, implications. Live explicitly enough for Jesus to risk making enemies. Two, a lack of retaliation is not meant to keep you from speaking for justice. Three, love is not the same thing as agreement. You can love people you disagree with. Number four, if this is the kind of love Jesus is calling for from our, from, for our enemies, how much more for our neighbors our family members, and our church members who sometimes feel like enemies. I know you're not my enemy. I hope you know I'm not your enemy. But sometimes we can feel like it, can't we? In the way something is said, in the way something is handled. If we're supposed to love our enemies, the persecutors, how much more right here at home? How much more in your marriage? Your spouse ever feel like your enemy? Yeah. And I've heard this before. Well, I'll love them when they start loving me in this way. Hmm. Even sinners can do that, Jesus would say. What grace is there in that, Jesus would say. But I say to you, Jesus would say, love your enemies. Too often Christians sound this way. In the way, well, that, that church member did this, so I'm. Did you forget the whole idea of a cross? Too often Christians' families or, or neighbors, we, we sound this way. I love people when they're good to me, but when they stop, then I'm done loving. What grace is there in that? Folks, remember the mercy of your Father. Remember the mercy of of your father who adopts his enemies and in that love, love your enemies. Your reward will be great and the world will see a picture of the beauty of our God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com folfcrc.com